All right. Welcome, welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Final Final Podcast here. Now on Apple Podcasts as well. Very exciting. You can listen to the Final Final on Apple, Spotify, and on my website, thefinalfinalofficial.com, all lowercase. So please check it out. Let others know as well. They can listen to it on both Apple and Spotify now. Really excited about that. So make sure to tell others to check it out as well. A couple things to get to today, including... Finally, the start of the NFL regular season. Who thought that a couple of months months ago that, that we could get here? But here we are. Very exciting and, and so far so good with in terms of playing with the pandemic, of course, and we saw with the Chiefs and the Texans. We'll get to that a little bit. Big Ten football, is it back? <laughs> are they just messing with us? Who knows? We'll see. We'll get to that a little bit later at the end of the episode. But first... Um, I have to talk about the historic NBA boycott of playoff games close to two weeks ago now, which came with the latest, maybe not the latest in, at, at this point anymore, but the shooting of Jacob Blake seven times in my home state of Wisconsin in Kenosha that happened. Thank God he's, he's still alive and, and gets to see his family these days. But the reason it, it's taken me so long to do this episode is because I wasn't really sure how I was going to approach and address it. But then after watching the Chiefs and Texans game last night, it helped me figure out which direction I was going to go with it a little bit more. So we'll go ahead and, and discuss this now. And the reason I I don't want it to be like I'm attacking anybody when I'm when I'm talking about how, well, first I'm, I'm going to be talking about what happened with the, the historic boycott of, of the playoff games the NBA players decided to do without telling the NBA and the owners. It's not like they asked for permission here. They just went and did it because if you saw when these games were boycotted what the what the talk turned to and and what these broadcasts were talking about ESPN TNT the local broadcasts in Milwaukee the local broadcasts from Orlando because this happened when the Bucks were playing the Orlando Magic at that point the talk turned to not basketball but to the social justice movement and so I didn't want this to be like I'm attacking people on on in this is I'm trying not to make this a, a left versus right Democrat versus Republican thing because it shouldn't be at this point and for people that think that it is they're just <laughs> they couldn't be more wrong and I hope they understand that they're wrong in the fact that this movement this social justice movement isn't a left versus right thing but anyways I didn't want it to seem like I was going after one side or the other it's not I just want it to be about what it is and what what is trying to be fought for and what is trying to get turned around and hopefully that can be realized Sooner rather than later, and we can see something like what the players want is some action taken and some change. And so, and, and the fun, not the funny, but the, the thing about it was I was just praising the NBA in my last podcast episode about how great I thought they were doing with this social justice movement and everything that they were doing to address it in this bubble that they've created in Orlando. Like I, like I thought the, and it's just how naive I, I was before in thinking that the paintings on the courts, the wording on the back of their jerseys, just asking questions at the end of playoff games and, and the interviews that they do after these games, I thought that was me thinking that was enough is kind of naive. And the players even, they kind of felt duped by just thinking that just these symbolic gestures, not taking any action, these owners not taking action, they kind of felt duped in that sense. And now they, and when the Bucks started this, boycott of their playoff game against the Orlando Magic 
they wanted more from their owners, and now the rest of these teams are demanding more from their owners too, which I think is something that they've decided, hey, we want more than just writing on the court. We want more than just it on our back. We want we want you guys who have a lot of influence to help us take action. And one of the things that happened was the Bucks when they postponed, they, it, they did end up playing again, of course, but when they postponed this game, they were trying to get in touch with the Wisconsin Attorney General and Wisconsin officials to find out what was being done about this and to see what could be done, what action could they take for something that was this horrible happened and, and what, what is something that they can do going forward. So if for those that thought it was a pointless holdout, not only did other major sports leagues follow suit, the NFL started canceling practices that week. The MLB, the Milwaukee Brewers canceled games as well, among other teams. Soccer games were canceled. The NHL and countless more, they, they canceled games, they canceled practices, whatever was going on at the time. And then the discussion turned to what needs to be changed. You know, it wasn't about this team is up 3-2 in the series or this team is preparing for this in the season. The discussion turned to what can be done or what needs to be done, what's the next step in the social justice change. So I just, uh, for those that thought it was pointless, the talk turned away from sports and it's what the players wanted at this point so and that's what the 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 nba almost did cancel the rest of their playoffs the the teams came together they said we don't want to cancel but we need more from the owners the ones that are in power and that have these connections high up in the in the political sphere and are said hey we we need you guys to help us more and you saw that the owners have started to take take some serious steps like opening up their big stadiums in Milwaukee and Atlanta and all these other places in Los Angeles opening up their big arenas and stadiums and saying, hey, this is going to be a polling place. That's something that the players have, have been really forward about and saying, hey, we, we want one of the things is to get everybody to be able to vote. So that's that's one step. And that's just uh, it, it was incredible, too, in, in this historic boycott because it just turned to the players showing how much power that they have in all these sports leagues kind of joining together to show the power that these that they have and displayed by using their platform. And I'm glad and when they when the players at first boycotted this, there was a lot of talk of of when Kyrie Irving said that this this doesn't feel right to go to Orlando and play at a time like this. And I think playing in Orlando and and having that stage that they did allowed them to one, boycott these games and two raise the awareness even more they were on that stage they had everybody's attention because they were in the playoffs the the nfl hadn't started started yet the nhl was in the playoffs as well they were able to then once the nba and actually it actually started the day before with the detroit lions canceling their practice but then on a bigger stage canceling a playoff game or postponing a playoff game really brought attention that way so i think playing in the first place allowed them to have this platform then to demand more from their owners, which I think was great. I think it was good that they started playing again. Still gives them this platform, so then they can still continue to enforce this power now that they have, and we've seen what the what the players have been able to do with it. So I think it's good that they were able to continue to the games and they were able to demand more or ask for more. Not ask for more, really. They're they're demanding more from their owners to help them and and get them more involved in substantial change not just this symbolic here's some lettering on the courts here's some lettering on the back of your jerseys 
they wanted a little more than that. So they were able to demand that when when they boycotted their uh, their playoff game. So it was really uh, really impressive to see. And so now we're seeing it actually uh, not boil over, but we're seeing it now in the NFL games with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans game starting. The protests will continue until change is made, and, and it doesn't matter. They have your attention. It doesn't matter for those people that say, I'm not going to watch football. I'm not going to watch basketball if they continue to do this. Why don't we keep politics out of sports? That's <laughs> that's not really a take that we can have. These players are human beings. We don't say to other people, like when, when people say stick to sports, which used to be a thing, I hope it's not said anymore, but we don't say stick to fixing my car, stick to fixing, painting my house. We don't say that to other people. Why would you be able to say that to to a player in this sense? That that doesn't make sense. And actually we saw, we now have the ratings out from last night's Chiefs-Texans game for all the things that were done by the NFL. The, they have it painted in the in the end zone. And like I said, they, the players want more than just these symbolic things as well. But the player unity and such like that, <laughs> for all the people that say, I'm done watching the NFL. Well, the numbers don't don't agree with you because they still had incredible ratings. Probably the second highest ratings I believe on TV this year outside of the Super Bowl. So I mean, it, clearly people are still going to be watching. See you week one for the rest of the games. For those that say they're not going to be watching the NFL after week one when they see what goes down, well, see you week two because I mean, in in one sense, you'll see the Packers Vikings game for example. They're going to be bringing out. George Floyd's family because of where that happened in Minnesota. This game is going to be played in Minnesota. For those that don't want to don't want to see that, well, then just don't watch the game. The NFL won't miss you. They're actually signing new TV deals because of how popular the NFL is going to be. So, I mean, this is something that needs to be brought to attention. And and the reason is, I don't know what people are so confused about or what they're so against at this point. It's just the main goal. The number one goal for this Black Lives Matter movement is to just get the fair justice system for African-American people. What is so wrong about that? We live in a free and fair country, do we not? So I don't know what the what the fight. And you can disagree with the rest of the other agenda that other people have, like abolishing the police. You don't have to agree with that. That's not their number one goal. I mean, hell, even the – and I don't want to make this a left versus right – Democrat versus Republican thing, but the people that are, the people that say they want to abolish the police, even the Democratic presidential candidate doesn't want to abolish the police. So, I mean, you can disagree with that, but their main goal is to stop the unjust killing of African-American people when they come in contact with the police. And I mean, for those that want to, that want to give, I mean, excuses such as, sure, he was carrying a pocket knife or he had a pocket knife in his car. That's not a valid excuse. How many of you or how many people do you know that carry a pocket knife with them at work? I know I did for a summer job I had in college. That's not a valid excuse. I mean, do you know how hard it is in this justice system that we have, how hard it is to kill someone in terms of the death penalty? I mean, look up the process for all that has to happen for that to go through. I'm sure it'll shock you. And that's what this movement is about for even if they are criminals, they don't deserve to miss that justice system that we have set up in place. And that's what this whole Black Lives Matter movement is at its most basic level and what they're fighting for, humane treatment, right? 
I mean, come on. I don't know how we can disagree with those that say – I mean, you can disagree with, with those that say abolish the police, like I, I mentioned. But just their main basic goal is to get humane treatment for African Americans. And I don't know what is so controversial about that. Like why – why don't people agree with that? What and and I don't know. It's just it blows my mind. And listening, if you listen, which is one of the things that you have to do, if you listen to some of these stories that you hear from players, and you hear from not just players, but you hear from African Americans everywhere, black people, when they tell you these stories, I don't know how it doesn't make you sad or make you say, "What? How can you live like that?" And and it just doesn't make any sense. And one thing that I, I, I don't understand is when people are talking about and one thing that people get defensive about is when someone says white privilege. That's not something you have to get defensive about. It's just something that's there. It's not your fault. It's just a privilege that you've been that's that has been thrust upon you because of your skin color. But it's not like a burden that you have to carry. It's not something that you are should be ashamed of. It's just a privilege that should be thrust upon everybody. Everybody should be treated in that same way. And it's, that's why this white privilege exists because not everybody is treated the same way. And for those that get defensive when white privilege is brought up, there, it's, it's nothing to be defensive about. It's not, it's just something that everybody should be treated the same way. And I don't know how people can, can disagree with that. It doesn't make sense to me. And that's what this whole what the players are fighting for they at, at the basic level of this they are all fighting for just this humane and equal treatment which i don't understand where the huge controversy comes in so and that's what i, I just wanted to bring that up and that's how the nba historic boycott came about that's how it then carried over into other sports first the nfl canceling practices mlb canceling games the brewers come to mind because of course this happened in milwaukee you had NHL even cancel games for a couple of days. Then you had soccer games canceled as well. I'm just saying, this is what they're, at the basic level, what they're fighting for. And I don't know how it, it, it gets construed in, in other ways. And, and you can disagree with some other portions of what other, it's not just the Black Lives Matter movement, but what others are saying, whether it's abolish the police, whether it's other things that are brought up. You can disagree with points like that, but at the most basic level of what they're fighting for, I don't know how it gets so controversial. And that's what the that's what the a lot of major athletes are trying to bring to light at what the most basic level is that they're that they're trying to change. So that's that's just something that is going to continue in the NFL this season as well, but in the NBA, when the NBA probably comes back when their next season comes up, but I don't know. We'll see. The players are are, are going to keep demanding more. They're going to keep showing signs of, of unity like we saw with the Chiefs and the Texans on Thursday. I, I watched that game. I don't know at the beginning what what the booing was about. I'm not, I don't know if, if they were just trying to boo the Texans before the game started, if they were actually booing them at a moment of unity there with the fans in the stands at Arrowhead Stadium. I'm not entirely sure. I guess we'll see more from other games come Sunday, actually tomorrow. But uh, I don't, I'm don't. i not entirely sure. A lot of people are saying that they were booing the unity. I'm not sure. Uh, I, did, I, I heard it a little bit. I mean, Patrick Mahomes and J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson talked about it. Patrick Mahomes said he did, it, it wasn't that loud of booing when they were on the field. I don't know if it was just louder on TV, but 
who knows i don't i don't know about that at that point but either way this is going to continue until something is changed and at the most basic level it seems like that should be an easy change to me but we'll see just get ready for it it's going to happen all nfl season and for those that say that they're not going to watch well <laughs> we'll see you week two in the ratings you you can't hide from those but anyways the nfl season is here now so that's exciting as well we saw that with the chiefs and the texans and wow do the Chiefs look really good, and that is kind of scary for those that aren't Chiefs fans. <laughs> so we'll see if they just roll through this season. Right now, I'm not going to lie to you, the Chiefs kind of remind me, this Chiefs team kind of remind me of the 2011 Packers in terms of how good their offense is going to be with all those weapons. You've got, of course, Patrick Mahomes at the helm. Then you've got Travis Kelsey. You've got Tyreek Hill. You've got Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson. Now you add this Clyde Edwards-Hilaire running back, and I, I honestly didn't think he was going to be this good. I, I thought he would get a lot of stats because of all the other weapons on this team that it would open him up more. I did not think he was going to be able to, to run like that. I did not know he was also only 5'7". Like, oh my goodness. But still, I mean, this team is is just looking really good. And, and I say they remind me a little of the 2011 Packers. I think this Chiefs defense is better than the 2011 Packers by by quite a bit actually because that defense struggled a lot in the season it's just the offense was so good in 2011 for the Packers that you didn't notice some of the defensive weaknesses but this 2000 the reason I say this team reminds me of it is coming off a of Super Bowl with a young quarterback you think they're going to win championship after championship and if they start to roll the season like the Packers did in 2011 when they went 15 and 1 I mean it's not easy to win a Super Bowl Tom Brady has kind of like changed that for everybody winning six and all of a sudden everybody's supposed to have two to three Super Bowls, but it's not easy to win a Super Bowl. But the Chiefs look really good after defeating the Texans 34-20 to on Thursday night football. And in their offense, they, they beat them 34-20 and their offense didn't even look like it was at their A game. They weren't taking deep down the field shots. I don't know if that was on purpose just because they didn't want them getting hit by J.J. Watt. Um, in the first week, because there hasn't been any preseason games, hasn't taken any hits in camp. Maybe they didn't want it to him to take a big hit in week one. So a lot of short passes, a lot of quick passes from Patrick Mahomes week one. But once they start getting that down the field stuff, this offense is going <laughs> to look even scarier and more fluid than what it did in week one, which is the scariest part about watching that. All right, so to keep going here with, this, with the NFL, we'll get to... When I, I just talked about the, the NBA historic boycott. We'll get to the, the playoffs as they've continued, like I mentioned. We'll get to that in my next episode. I wanted to keep the NBA talk just to what the players are fighting for, what they're trying to get across to everybody, and why they decided to boycott those, those playoff games in, in the first round. I wanted to keep the NBA talk to that. We'll get to the basketball talk in my next episode when we have all the teams in the conference finals, and we'll discuss that. And hopefully I'll be able to have a more consistent schedule with my podcasting now because I have a more consistent schedule with the NFL since we have regular season games here now, as you saw on Thursday night. So we'll, we'll keep the basketball talk to just what the players were, were trying to bring more to light and, and get everybody talking about, which they did on TV, on national news for more than just the one day in writing in the papers and such like that in here now with podcasting, not just me, of course, but all the other ones as well. So we'll keep it just to that for, for the NBA right now. 
But we'll move on with the NFL after the, the Chiefs talk there. I still have one more conference to get to for my predictions, and that is the AFC and NFC East. That's my last one. We'll get to the teams then as well that I have in the playoffs. All right, so we'll start with the AFC East. That is right here. I have the Buffalo Bills at 10-6. and six. That's good enough to get them the three seed in the AFC. And then the New England Patriots, I have them at 8-8, eight and eight, 500, new quarterback Cam Newton. 8-8 eight and eight is good enough to get them into that new playoff seventh seed. Remember, they added a seventh seed into the playoffs this year for the NFL, seven in the AFC, seven in the NFC. With New England at 8-8, eight and eight, that is good enough to get them the seventh seed in my predictions here. All right, then the Miami Dolphins at 7-9. and nine. And then rounding out the AFC East, the New York Jets at 5-11. and 11. And then over to the NFC East now. We'll get to the playoffs in just a second. I have the Dallas Cowboys at 10-6. and six. New head coach Mike McCarthy. Another new weapon on offense in CeeDee Lamb. That offense is going to look exciting. I, I hope we'll see um, with a unique offseason. We'll see what Mike McCarthy was able to do. He had a whole year off, but we'll talk about that in just a second. Philadelphia Eagles then. Last year's NFC East Division winners at 9-7. and seven. That's good enough to get them into the 7th seed. The Cowboys at 10-6 and six got them into the 4th seed as the last division winner. Philadelphia Eagles 9-7 and seven, making the playoffs as my 7th seed. The New York Giants 6-10 and 10 this year. Maybe they can keep that offense a little bit healthier. We'll get to that. And then the Washington football team. How do they not have a new nickname or a new team name yet how are we still at washington football team as the season starts that's that's what i want to know i have them going two and 14 i think it's going to be between the washington football team and the jacksonville jaguars uh shooting for trevor lawrence this year at the number one if if washington football team goes two and 14 they are either going to move on from dwayne haskins with alex smith which would be great that would be awesome to see if he was able to come back this year, he's, he's already on the regular season roster. I believe I mentioned this already. He made the regular season roster, the regular 53. He might not be playing this year. Dwayne Haskins is has already been named the starter. But Alex Smith, who knows, maybe if midseason he gets his legs back under him, he's not too skittish when defenders start jumping at his feet. Maybe he'll be able to come back next year and be the starter if they have, in my predictions, at 2-14 and 14 season, they'll either move on to him or they'll be shooting for Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields area. All right, so let's get to why I have these these rankings where I do. So Buffalo Bills, 10-6, and six, the number three seed in the AFC. I think they have a top three defense in the NFL. They have Sean McDermott, their head coach, who's a defensive-minded guy. They have a pass rush. They have possibly one of the best corners in the NFL in Tredavious White. Their front seven is fantastic in terms of linebackers as well. They just have an outstanding defense that is going to be the focal point of this team. They have the addition of Stefan Diggs from a trade with the Minnesota Vikings. I think that will help with Josh Allen's improvement as well. You'll see him hopefully be more accurate with Stefan Diggs. Maybe he'll have more accuracy on those downfield shots that he takes. They have a weakened division now. Tom Brady's no longer in New England. I think New England is still going to be great. Not great, but good because they have Bill Belichick. I have faith in Bill Belichick. There was always that discussion of is the New England success because of Bill Belichick or Cam Newton? I guess this is the year we'll find out. I'm sorry, Bill Belichick or Tom Brady. Bill Belichick, we'll see if he continues his success with Cam Newton this year. But anyways, the weakened division because Tom Brady is gone, 
And then Sean McDermott, I believe, is a coach of the year candidate with how well he has turned around that organization in Buffalo. And they have a great offensive line. So that's to protect Josh Allen, even though he doesn't protect himself by running. But that's how I have the Bills at 10-6. and six. The Patriots then, 8-8. Eight and eight. Obviously, the big news there is they lost Tom Brady. He's gone to Tampa Bay. They still have Bill Belichick, though, so they get my vote as a team that makes the playoffs. Like I said, that discussion of does more credit go to Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? I think a lot of it goes to Bill Belichick. That will be tested this year. Tom Brady has a lot of weapons down in Tampa. I already have him making the playoffs in my predictions as well, but either way, we'll see when it comes to those two. But the Patriots, some regression because they lost five starters on defense because of COVID opt-outs. So they're, they're going to regress a little bit there. Some guys have decided to take the year off because of the precautions. They got Cam Newton, a new starting quarterback, new offensive system as well with Cam Newton there. That could take some time to get started, and maybe they start off a little bit slow, finish strong, I'm thinking, with Cam Newton there. And they still have a lack of weapons on offense, no upgrades at the offensive position, really. I mean, it's still Julian Edelman. They're hoping for a jump from Nikhil Harry at the wide receiver spot. They dropped Mohamed Sanu. They don't have him on the team anymore. And the running backs are still Sony Michelle and James White. So we'll see if that's enough with Cam Newton. Cam Newton's mobility could be a little bit of an upgrade, of course, over Tom Brady. But we'll see if this offense is really any better than it was last year. And if the defense regresses from being a clear-cut number one defense that it was last year, you could see some regress regression in the rest of the team as well. All right, so then the Miami Dolphins I had at 7-9, and nine, remember? Brian Flores, year two on the team. This is a team, I think, on the rise. They have a, an amazing secondary on defense. They signed Byron Jones from the Dallas Cowboys last year, a really good cornerback. They have Xavion Howard. They have a first-rounder, their cornerback. I think he's out of Auburn. I can't remember his name. But they, in, their defense has improved overall. They have a decent pass rush. They have some linebackers. Their secondary is the core of that defense. I think that defense will be improved, which will help. And then Tua Tugavailoa, when does he play? When he does come back, he's got some, or when he does, right now the starter is Ryan Fitzpatrick for week one, and we'll see. He's Ryan Fitzpatrick is still a quality starting quarterback in the NFL. We saw he was able to get them to five wins somehow last year. But when Tua plays, he will be an upgrade over Ryan Fitzpatrick, of course, and he'll have some, some weapons to play with on the offense. He has Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, really two good wide receivers right there, Mike Gusecki, the tight end. From Penn State, I believe, actually. He's a really athletic tight end he'll be able to work with. And then Matt Breida and Jordan Howard, a nice one-two punch at running back. So that's why I've got the Dolphins, a team on the rise. Not quite a playoff team this year. Might have to wait till Tua gets a full year of starting. Maybe two years away from the playoffs, I'm thinking, for the Dolphins if Tua Tugavailoa stays healthy and they continue to improve. First, this offensive line. Then second, maybe some, some of that defense as well on the defensive front. So the Dolphins at 7-9, and then I still have the Jets at the bottom of this division at 5-11. and 11. Still don't, still have offensive line questions. Sam Darnold, we've been hearing a lot of great things this offseason about him. Does he have the protection to stay up? Le'Veon Bell, can he return to form at all? That's that's a big question with him, and, and can he be able to provide that outlet for Sam Darnold as well? Does Sam Darnold have any weapons? A lot of questions on this offense right now. I mean, Denzel Mims, they drafted in the second round. Their number one wide receiver is Jameson Crowder. I'm not sure how great of a number one wide receiver that is, how big of a weapon that is for this team. 
we'll have to see. But and and there's still some holes across this defense. They had their inside linebacker C.J. Mosley, the guy who they signed from the Baltimore Ravens two years ago now. Last year, out with a season-ending injury. This year, decided to opt out due to the coronavirus. So a lot of holes on this defense still. Just a team that isn't able to put it together right now. So that's how I've got them at 5-11. and 11. So then we go to the NFC East. Cowboys, like I said, 10-6, and 6, winning that division. Mike McCarthy, too many weapons on this offense. Uh, possibly the number one offense again in the NFL. Dak Prescott, I mean, the Cowboys are starting to think that they can have two, or I'm not sorry, not two, three 1,000-yard receivers with Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and C.D. Lamb. I mean, last year they had Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup both go for 1,200-plus yards, I believe. Their third wide receiver last year, Randall Cobb, had either close to or just a little bit over 800 yards, so it's possible. Dak Prescott could throw for 5,000 yards. They still have Zeke Elliott coming out of the backfield as well, a top-five offensive line. I mean, they had... I don't know, was it Travis Frederick who retired, their center? Now they might be without Lyle Collins, their right tackle for a little bit. So they still have they have a ton of depth at that offensive line. I'm not worried about it. And then they have a good front seven on defense. Questions in the secondary, though, after they let Byron Jones walk to the Miami Dolphins, like I just mentioned. They had struggles in the secondary with HaHa Clinton Dix. They're not sure. I'm not sure if he even made the 53-man roster. But they have questions in their secondary. Good, decent front seven with Demarcus Lawrence leading the way there. Two really good linebackers, Leighton Vander Esch and Jalen Smith. So we'll see if they can make up for that weak secondary. But overall, this is a pretty solid team. New coach in a unique offseason. But like I said, Mike McCarthy had a year off, and he's been talking about his perspective from outside the NFL and seeing it from a whole 360-degree view from not coaching for a year. So we'll see. I think they'll be able to have a really good offense a solid enough defense to get themselves into the playoffs. So now the Eagles I have at 9-7. and seven. Injuries are starting to pile up again. We had a scare with Carson Wentz earlier with a soft tissue injury. That seems to be okay right now. He's going to start week one. They have troubles on the O-line already. They lost, I believe, their left guard, Brandon Brooks, who was a first-team All-Pro. He was gone before training camp started. Now they just lost their left tackle in Andre Dillard. They've moved former left tackle Jason Peters out there now, but they still have injuries along that offensive line. Is it an improved defense? Their pass rush has still always been pretty good. They've always been super deep at linebacker. They've upgraded their secondary with Darius Slay, the trade from the Lions cornerback, so that's good, their defense. And I'll tell you what, this team always seems to overcome everything that is thrown their way. Last year, their their number one receiver in their in Week 17 going against the Cowboys for the division to make the playoffs was, I believe, a, a wide receiver named Greg Ward. So, I mean, they have some injury concerns right now with the new number one pick that they had, Jalen Rager, Alshon Jeffrey still has questions, but anything over Greg Ward as their number one wide receiver is an upgrade. And this team always seems to to push through it, so they, they just continue to amaze me. And that's why I still have them making the playoffs at 9-7. and seven. And then really quick here with the Giants and the Washington football team, Daniel Jones, year two. I think I had, what did I have the Giants at? 6-10. and 10. Full-time starter this year. Healthier offense. Saquon Barkley, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, Golden Tate. If all those guys are there, that's a ton of weapons for him. Of course, led by Saquon Barkley, who can take a huge load off of Daniel Jones' shoulders. New head coach, though. Joe Judge. 
tough with the short offseason, tough with the unique offseason, of course, like I've been mentioning this. I think the teams that will succeed the most are the ones that carry over new starting or same starting quarterback, same head coach, a lot of the same players. Continuity is going to be key this year. So the Giants are a team on the rise a little bit, but they still are going to have struggles with the new head coach. Daniel Jones in his second year now with a new coach and a new system. We'll see. Still holes everywhere on that defense. It's a thing that they have to improve. They could have improved it in the draft. They decided to protect Daniel Jones with the offensive line. We'll see how it pays off. I always, I'm always for protecting your, your franchise quarterback with offensive line, but their defense needs help everywhere. So we'll see. That's why I've got them at 6-10. and 10. And then, last but not least, Washington football team. Whole regimen change there with the distractions in the front office and the, and the scandals coming left and right with the owner. We'll see new head coach. Ron Rivera, he was diagnosed with cancer as well. It's not considered life-threatening. He'll be taking the treatment all season, and they have backup plans. But if he has to miss games, that's another thing. Are they completely sold on Dwayne Haskins as their starting quarterback? Not necessarily sure with his second season now. They just have the, the only good thing that I can see for this for this Washington football team is their defensive front four, their four starting defensive linemen you got Chase Young, the two Alabama boys, and then you've got the other side with last year's first-round pick, Montez Sweat. I mean, that, that defensive front could be one of the best in football, but the rest of this team has just question marks all over the place. So that's why I've got them at 2-14, at, at one of the three bottom, or one of the bottom three teams for me in the league this year. So what does that leave for teams that make the playoffs in my case here? I've got, in the NFC, we'll start there. I've got the 49ers as the one seed between 13 and 3 and 12 and 4. As the two seed then, I've got the New Orleans Saints at 12 and 4. I've got the Packers as the three seed, 11 and 5, dropping a couple games from last year's 13 and 3. Then Cowboys at 10 and 6, and then we got three wild cards, remember with the addition of that new slot for a playoff team. I've got the Seahawks at 11 and 5, the Buccaneers at 10 and 6 with Tom Brady there. And the Eagles at nine and seven. Those are my seven playoff teams from the NFC. AFC then, I've got the Chiefs at 14 and two, especially just after watching them last night against the Texans. I think that they uh, are going to have no problem this year. They could even go 15 and one, and they wouldn't surprise me. But I've got them at 14 and two. Ravens, another fantastic year at 13 and three. They've improved that defense, like I've mentioned before. That team is still going to be really good. Lamar Jackson in year two. And now they've also got Marquise Brown, who could have a second-year jump at that wide receiver position. Fantastic team right there. The Bills at 10-6. and six. The Indianapolis Colts at 10-6 and six as well. Phillip Rivers, the new quarterback there. Then my three wildcard teams in the AFC. Denver Broncos, 9-7. and seven. That might be a little bit of a stretch now with some of this news coming out about the Broncos. They've had an injury on offense with their number one wide receiver in Cortland Sutton. We'll hope that he'll be able to be okay. They've lost what it looks like Von Miller, their stud defensive end for the entire season. Bradley Chubb, their other stud defensive end in his second year or third year now. He's not sure if he's fully healthy to start the season. I still like the Denver Broncos. If they were healthy, I would definitely have them as a as a for sure pick in my in my wild card. But we'll have to see now with some of these injuries piling up. I'll keep them here because this is what I've got at this point. Can't change it now with the season. Uh, a day around, the, just right around the corner. 
but we'll see with the Broncos at nine and seven. I've got the Steelers at nine and seven as well. Big Ben back for this team. This team was eight and eight last year with their quarterbacks of Mason Rudolph and Devlin Duck Hodges. So I think if we get any improvement there at from eight and eight, I think we'll get to nine and seven with Ben Roethlisberger and possibly one of the top defenses in the NFL right behind the Buffalo Bills. Or it could it could go one, two either way with the Steelers and Bills in terms of defenses. And then my last team in the AFC, the New England Patriots at 8-8. Eight and eight. So let's see. what We've got one thing that I always like to know, and one thing that you should always do is that at for the last, what is it? Let me see here, 30 years, there's at least been four new playoff teams every year. We average about six. So for me, my new playoff teams from... 20, for 2020 that didn't make it in 2019, the Cowboys, the Buccaneers, the Colts, Broncos, and Steelers. And I get to kind of cheat a little bit because I automatically am going to have two new teams with <laughs> with the addition of two new playoff spots. But the teams that will be out this year, according to me, will only be three teams. So five new teams, three teams out. The Texans, I saw them last night. Deshaun Watson is going to have his work cut out from him without DeAndre Hopkins this year. He'll be able to spread it around, but I'm not sure how well. I mean, you still like to have a top five wide receiver on your team like DeAndre Hopkins, but we'll see. But I have the Texans out this year. I have the Tennessee Titans out this year. This could be the team that I think replaces the Denver Broncos if they struggle because the Titans have, they've just added Jadavion Clowney as well. Derrick Henry is still a force, but I'm not necessarily sure if I'm sold on Ryan Tannehill. I think I mentioned this in my other episode. I'm not sure. It's just one year. He didn't start the year, of course. That was Marcus Mariota, now gone to the or to the Las Vegas Raiders, excuse me. But I'm not sure if I'm entirely sold. It was just one incredible three-fourths of the season run, got them all the way to the AFC Championship game, got his big money this offseason. If he does it again this year, makes it to the playoffs, then I'll be sold on Ryan Tannehill as a potential franchise quarterback for the Titans here. And then the Minnesota Vikings. This team... It could just be because I'm a Packers fan, but I don't think that's that's necessarily the case. I think there's a lot of strong teams in the NFC. The Cowboys, the 49ers, I think that the the NFC West could have possibly three teams in the playoffs, whether it be the Arizona Cardinals joining the Seahawks in 49ers. But the NFC is just a loaded conference this year in terms of teams, especially with Tom Brady going from the AFC to the NFC. So that's why I have the Minnesota Vikings out this year as well. Potential playoff teams that could make it that I don't have. Like I said, the Titans, the Falcons could be a team that that pushed their way through. They have all first-rounders on that offense, from the offensive line to the running back to the tight end to the two wide receivers. First-rounders all, all around, so they've got talent everywhere. Um, the Browns could make a push, the Vikings as well. So we'll we'll see. This is what I've got, though. I've got the for the NFC, I've got the 49ers, the Saints, the Packers, the Cowboys, Seahawks, Buccaneers, Eagles, and then the AFC, we've got the Chiefs, Ravens, Bills, Colts, Broncos, Steelers, and Patriots. Those are my 14 playoff teams for the 2020 NFL season. I'm excited. I think that's that's a pretty good list of teams that'll make the playoffs this year. I think I've got it nailed down pretty good. <laughs> All right, so I'll go to my predictions on terms of my predictions in terms of the season for MVP, Offensive Player of the Year. We'll get to that right now as well because the season's right around the corner. Maybe we'll do this mid-season as well to see uh, how I did, but I've got it written down here in pen. 
promise you I can't erase it, so we'll see how it goes. But to start, we'll start with the MVP award. I think for MVP, he started to get a little traction now for people predicting him. But I've got Russell Wilson as my MVP this year. I don't know how this guy doesn't have an MVP yet, but he's got two legit wide receivers in terms of Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. He is still a mobile quarterback. He He's going to have to carry this defense a little bit. It lost to Davion Clowney. Uh, they added Jamal Adams, though, so this defense, the secondary is fine, but we'll see if, if the pass rush can provide some assistance for that secondary. But I think Russell Wilson is going to have to carry this defense a little bit. Chris Carson at running back, hopefully he can stay healthy. But I think if they re- if they let Russell Wilson loose and they become more of an even, not just a, a running team, they've, they've been more favoring the run with Pete Carroll of late. But if they let Russell Wilson loose just a little bit more, I think he'll be putting up those MVP numbers. He's been getting the recognition he deserves now. We saw it with the NFL 100 this year, or the, what is it, the top 100 players in the NFL this year. Number one, Lamar Jackson. Number two, Russell Wilson. So he's getting the recognition. I'm sure people can argue whether Pat Mahomes should have been one. It should have been Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, then Russell Wilson. Either way, he's top three in terms of players, and that was voted on by players and, and coaches and stuff like that. So he's gotten the recognition. I think, I don't know how this guy doesn't have an MVP yet, but I think he's starting to get some traction. And a lot of these awards are based on what the storyline is and what people have been talking about in the preseason, before the season, and then come midseason as well. It's different than the NBA. The NBA is so long that people can talk about it and, and, and one guy could win it before the season starts. But with the NFL, it's a little bit better, but you got to have some hype around you. And Russell Wilson's hype is starting to come around. So I think Russell Wilson will be my MVP this year. Offensive player of the year, I was shocked to find out that Christian McCaffrey wasn't the winner last year. It was actually Michael Thomas, which well-deserved. You break a, I don't know how old that record was, 15-plus years, the Marvin Harrison receptions in a season record. So Michael Thomas was your offensive player of the year. So Christian McCaffrey, I think, is going to have to be, is going to be the guy this year. He'll have the huge numbers again with that offense in Carolina. But I want to give you two other names that I think could could work their way into this conversation. The Offensive Player of the Year Award has become a non-quarterback discussion. The MVP award is just the, the quarterback award at this point. But anyways, two other names to, to look for uh, for Offensive Player of the Year. Josh Jacobs, the running back out of the Las Vegas Raiders, second year now. I think he's going to have a huge year. This is actually my uh, fantasy football player ride-or-die guy. I've tried to get him in all... Oh my goodness, I'm in four fantasy leagues. That's way too many. But anyways, I've tried to get him in all four. I think I have him in three of the four. But he's my fantasy ride or die this year because he's going to get more involved in the passing game. He's got a top five offensive line on his team, and they just give this guy the ball. The Henry Ruggs, their first-round wide receiver, might be injured for week one. So this is like their legit number one guy on offense. It goes Josh Jacobs, Josh Jacobs, then Darren Waller. Henry Ruggs, if Henry Ruggs is there. So this guy's going to have so much, so many touches, so much production. I think Josh Jacobs is a guy to consider. And then one other guy, too, is Devontae Adams, the wide receiver for the Packers. He is the clear-cut number one, number two receiver on the Packers. They have some other guys in Alan Lazard. I've heard a lot of great things about Marquez Valdez-Scantling coming out of camp this year, but there's no question on who the guy is that Aaron Rodgers is looking for. And if Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have a nice year two jump with Matt LaFleur, which I expect they will on offense, Devontae Adams, if he can stay healthy for all 16 games, I think he could be in the range of 1,500 receiving yards, and he's put up 10-plus touchdowns 
in four straight years. So if you have 1,500 receiving yards and 12 touchdowns, that's that's in that's close. That's probably that's possibly the number one wide receiver over 100 receptions, number one wide receiver numbers in the NFL that year, and that could put you in discussion for Offensive Player of the Year award. So those are I've got Christian McCaffrey as the favorite because he didn't win it last year because of Michael Thomas's record-breaking year. So I think they'll give it to McCaffrey, but those two guys are uh, are some guys I have on my list as well. And then Defensive Player of the Year. We went cornerback this past year, which I thought was great. We were just on a we were on a little bit of a streak of of defensive ends and just guys that were putting up huge sack numbers. So we went with Stephon Gilmore this past year. I think we'll go back to the sack numbers guy. And two names that I have in mind. One is Chandler Jones, the defensive end out of Arizona. He's starting to finally get some recognition not recognition, but more appreciation for what he's been doing in Arizona there on a, he's on a horrible he's on a bad defense which is looking like it could be on the on the rise this season with their with their draft picks and some guys that they've added but he 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 could be a guy that is getting more recognition for a defensive player of the year award like this he's been close to 20 sacks two or three times now so Chandler Jones is a guy and then the other guy that I'm going to bring up Zadarius Smith the the Packers outside linebacker defensive end who got snubbed last year for an all pro position. But either way, I think people will will notice when he puts up 15 sacks for this Packers defense and this Packers defense continues to improve. So Zadarius Smith is my defensive player of the year. Russell Wilson, my MVP. Christian McCaffrey, my offensive player of the year. And then my offensive rookie of the year, give me Joe Burrow. I could, I mean, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has all the hype right now, but this award usually ends up going to a quarterback no matter what. I think it went to Baker Mayfield over Saquon Barkley when those two dueled. I'm not, oh gosh, I have to look that up, but I think it went, it usually goes to quarterback. So give me Joe Burrow. He's got a lot of weapons on offense. Just hopefully he can stay healthy with a little bit of a weak offensive line. Defensive rookie of the year. Give me Isaiah Simmons, the rookie on the Arizona Cardinals. Like I said, so Chandler Jones is going to rack up sacks close to 15 again. Isaiah Simmons is going to rush the passer. He's going to have close. To, he's going to have over a hundred tackles at that linebacker spot, and he's probably going to have two or three interceptions as well because they can play him at safety. This guy is going to be all over the field, and I think he's going to really showcase or and going to ask a lot of people how did he drop all the way down to the eighth spot in this draft, which surprised the hell out of me. But I think this kid is is going to be really. I say kid. I'm I'm 24. <laughs> this guy, and he's like 19, whatever. This guy, I think, is going to be really excellent, and people are going to are going to see and be surprised how he fell to eight. So Isaiah Simmons, my defensive rookie of the year, comeback player of the year. A lot of people going with Cam Newton. Give me Ben Roethlisberger. I think he's it's it's going to be the same offense that he knows. Cam Newton has a new offensive, new team. Ben Roethlisberger is coming back to the same team. Give me Ben Roethlisberger. He th- throws always forty five hundred yards, thirty plus touchdowns. I think Ben Roethlisberger is going to be your comeback player of the year. And then most improved player of the year, this is another uh, quarterback-driven award, Drew Locke, quarterback for the Denver Broncos. If his offense stay healthy, this has nothing to do with how the team and the the defense does. I don't even know. Do they have a most improved player of the year award in the NFL? I know they do in the NBA, so that's why I put it here for the NFL as well. But give it to Drew Locke with all those weapons when it comes to Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, their first-round draft pick, K.J. Hamler, their second-round draft pick. You got Melvin Gordon, the new running back they signed. He's still got 
Still got Philip Lindsay in that backfield as well. Oh, Noah Fant, their first-round tight end from two years ago. Just weapons all over the place. So Drew Locke, I think, with a full year starting. No question he's a starter. Pencil him in for me as most improved player of the year, if that's even an award in the NFL. I have no idea. <laughs> all right. So then you want my Super Bowl pick as well. I wrote down three. I couldn't I couldn't pick one because I, I feel like you'll think it's biased when I – take Packers over Chiefs that's just I don't know I don't know why I would do that why would I pick the Packers over Chiefs I have no idea <laughs> but anyways I'll instead <laughs> I'll give you my contenders my, my top eight contenders for the Super Bowl this year Chiefs this is in no particular order by the way I'll just give you the top five now I'll give you the top eight it, no particular order here Chiefs Saints Ravens Packers 49ers Seahawks Colts Buccaneers I think the Colts are going to really surprise people like I said, they just needed a quarterback last year. Phillip Rivers is an improved quarterback over Jacoby Brissett, and you can whine about all the interceptions that he throws, but that was because he had a bottom five offensive line in the NFL, and he just had to chuck that ball up no matter what, no matter who was there. He didn't care if there was three safeties or whatever. He was throwing it up just to, to avoid the sack. Now he's got a top five offensive line in the NFL. He's got some options out on the – edges at, at wide receiver in T.Y. Hilton. Cross your fingers, he can stay healthy. Michael Pittman Jr., a big wide receiver that they drafted out of USC. He's got a decent tight end in Jack Doyle. They also brought over Trey Burton. So he's got two capable tight ends there. And then he's got two running backs. He's got Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. And when Jonathan Taylor takes over that number one running back role, which he will due time, maybe two or three weeks, That'll take a lot of pressure off of Phillip Rivers as well. So the Colts, I think, are going to surprise a lot of teams, and that's why I've got them in my top eight as a, as a contending team for the Super Bowl. But those te- those four teams, or I'm sorry, those eight teams, I think are the eight teams that are going to be in the hunt for the Super Bowl. Those are the eight teams I think can win the Super Bowl this year. And if, and if, and if I had to pick a, a Super Bowl pick, I don't know, Packers over Chiefs, I don't know where I came with it. I don't know where I came up with it. But we'll, we'll go with it. I don't know why. I'm just feeling it for some reason, but we'll, we'll go Packers Chiefs there. <laughs> All right. Let's get to my final thought then today on the final, final podcast we'll get here. Big Ten football considering restarting this season with the possible of new COVID testing with the saliva testing now that has been coming out. I actually did one for for the NFL when I started to go back into the building. Really simple. If you can like spit like a whole little tube thing, it takes like 10 minutes. Wow, I don't have that much saliva in me. But anyways, the Big Ten football is considering restarting the season with this because of it. I don't know. There's a there's supposed to be a vote tomorrow on, on I don't know if it's the the leaders, the, the football directors of, or I'm sorry, the sports directors for each of these teams from all the Big Ten. There's supposed to be a vote tomorrow. I don't know if they're teasing us at this point. If they aren't teasing us, give us more information on how they plan to make it work. There's been nothing. ESPN hasn't been able to, to write about whether they're not or what the plan is if it does come back. I have heard, I've just heard little rumors pop up here and there on social media. It's driving me crazy. It's got my hopes all the way up. I mean, I, I'm, I'm already going to be devastated if tomorrow or Monday it comes out that says, yeah, the, the Big Ten football is not coming back because I already believe it's coming back. That's what they've given me right now. They've just given me the hope. I'm, I already know I'm going to be disappointed. And, and the return of Wisconsin football isn't going to happen, but just from these little rumors popping up here and there that that the Big Ten football 
is possibly coming back, Big Ten sports in general, there's a potential that some teams might opt out, like Michigan, I've heard, has has trouble with this or something like that, but we'll see. I've heard now as well that Barry Alvarez said that him and Paul Christ, they're on the same page with whether or not the season comes back. I know Wisconsin football recently just paused all athletic athletic events not events but like practices and stuff that have been going on right now because of the rise in covid results that have happened in madison no duh because college started again so obviously but anyways they've they've paused those but they've continued to practice even when the season said it was canceled it's not like they're going to restart and boom it's like oh no we haven't practiced in two months no they've they've still been practicing so the the big 10 football considering restarting the season huge news Hopes are way too high, and I'm ready to be crushed again for when it gets canceled or they say, nope, we're not coming back. Just kidding. Sorry about that. But that would be amazing because Wisconsin is making the college football playoffs this year. There's no question about it or the next year. But either way, they were going to make the college football playoffs. So that's my final thought. Big Ten considering restarting their season, ready to just crush my hopes again. I love when the Big Ten does that. All right, and then final, final thought today on the final, final podcast. I bet you guys love it when I do that at the end here. Anyways, here it is. Thank you, Chicago Bears. Oh, my goodness. Just round of applause for your choosing your starting quarterback, going with Mitch Trubisky, named as their starter for now for the 2020 season. Just music to the ears of Packer fans everywhere, choosing Mitch Trubisky over Nick Foles. I mean, you just got to love it. They have a Super Bowl MVP on their team. They traded a fourth-round pick for this man. I love it. They're going with Mitch Trubisky. I hope he's on the field when the Bears play the Packers. But, I mean, the Bears have said this is a week-by-week thing, which is even better. No quarterback's going to be able to get themselves in a rhythm. I love it. I'm super excited for the season. I hope you're excited for the NFL season as well. I know you'll be watching. Let's hope for a full, healthy season to the NFL as well. That's, let's keep our fingers crossed there. All right, that is all I have for you on this episode of the final, final podcast. Hope you enjoyed. I hope you, you think a little bit about that first 15 minutes and understand what everybody is uh, is fighting for and, and what they're trying to bring light to and trying to get changed. And hopefully, I, I hope you agree with my sentiment and, and, and a lot of other people's sentiment too on the take. But if not, I hope it made you think about it, and, and maybe then we can we can discuss it more in, in terms that way as well. But I hope you enjoyed this episode. Next episode, we'll be getting to the NBA playoffs in terms of where we are. We will be in the conference finals already at this point with the NBA bubble, so we'll get to that for sure. Week one of the NFL, we will be able to discuss entirely, and then we'll move on to week two with the NFL as well. The MLB, the season is winding down. They're going to have a postseason bubble with the MLB with all, oh my goodness, is it 16 teams that they have? Yeah, 16 teams that they're going to have in the playoffs this year, so they're going to have a bubble. We'll discuss the teams that will be making the playoffs, and then we'll also get to the NHL, hopefully next episode as well. The NHL Stanley Cup Finals are coming up. I believe we're in the conference finals of hockey. I haven't even been able to talk about hockey right now. So much sports is coming back, and it's finally better to do this podcast, and I'll hopefully be able to do it more consistently with my schedule and with the sports now with an abundance of sports that I'll be able to talk about. So hopefully you'll turn in next episode as well. Share with people. Remember, this is on Apple and Spotify now. Look it up. 
the final, final podcast. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Stay safe. Stay sane. And this is the final, final.